0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on Solitaire Board Gaming. I'm your host, Julius, and this is episode 82.
1: Grab it. Grab it. Grab it. (laughs)
0: Lovely. Hi,
1: I'm Albert. I'm Julius. And welcome back to the podcast. We have an exciting episode this week, especially because... Well, we have no idea what we're doing.
0: Yeah, we're kind of on the rocks for this one. Plans are never going quite right. I know that, like I said, things are getting busy and things are just continuing to get busy. I know that I'm involved in bar studies and now we just moved house and I'm still living in boxes and recording this from my easy chair because my desk hasn't been set up again.
1: Yeah, wow. it sounds rough yeah unpacking will take forever too. you know be months before you're done not to discourage you (laughs) thank you
0: i i love hearing that and i'm sure it will take months because the the room that is now filled with boxes was originally intended to be my office and recording space oh yeah nope not right now well that that's motivation
1: for you to finish faster
0: there you go hopefully yeah hopefully so, I know that I have very little news, and I don't think I've actually played a single game in the past two weeks.
1: Wow, okay, that, that, you've been busy. I've actually been playing a lot of uh, Nations the Dice game lately. I got that last week, and I've th- I've played 16 games of it already.
0: 16 games? Man, you must be really liking it. I'm, I'm really enjoying
1: it, and it's super fast. It's like 20 minutes for a solo game.
0: I know that I have it on a pre-order along with Hostage Negotiator and some other games, So, hopefully once my pre-order for it comes in, I'll, uh... We'll be able to get a review of it out.
1: Excellent. I look forward to that. I really have enjoyed the game, so I look forward to talking about it. Let's let's go ahead and do the news. I don't have much.
0: Alright, let's jump into the news.
1: First, another expansion has been announced for Eldritch Horror. It's called Strange Remnants. It's a typical small size box expansion that Fantasy Flight makes now. Um... Its expected release date is Q3 2015. You know what I really find interesting about this though is that it seems they have finally stopped making expansions for Arkham Horror and are just going to do it for this game instead, which is kind of a shame because you know I like Arkham Horror, I have that, I want to get more expansions.
0: I don't know. I prefer personally, I prefer Eldritch Horror.
1: Is it well? I just don't want to buy another one. I don't want to start over, sort of thing. And and so it's kind that. of a shame.
0: Well, I have, I have the advantage of someone here at my gaming group has a copy of Eldritch, so.
1: And interestingly enough, I've seen that game on sale a few times on clearance sales. Barnes & Noble had it on clearance sale last month, and I saw it online somewhere on clearance. But anyway, it. they do have expansions coming out still, so look for the next one in, in a, another
0: few months or so. I know that if I can mention something, I'm going to call it something that I thought was particularly cool. I know that I backed, uh, NSK and games Mistfall. Um, are you familiar with that one? Yes. Yes. I backed that one also. So I know that they sent out, at least to me, a little postcard. Did you get one too?
1: I got in the mail the other day. It was a nice touch. It
0: was, it was a, a nice touch. To see they that. sent out to all their backers a postcard with a piece of art with the four, with the eight, excuse me, adventurers that are going to be coming with the game. Uh, just as a little postcard with a message saying, "Yeah, hopefully this all tide you over to the end of the game." I appreciate that. That was a very nice touch. I, I've uh, I've backed a number of Kickstarters before, and never received anything like that, especially a piece of physical art being mailed to me. It was a really nice touch. I appreciated that. Yep, same here.
1: I, I've I've got the card saved so that when the game comes in, I could keep it with it in the box. Hopefully, I will lose it by then.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> Darn! It's in a box somewhere. <laughs> it's safe then it's safe oh god where did I go <laughs> I meant to do that but as I recall it was left on the desk in my old office
1: <laughs> so it might be in the drawer in the desk who knows oh god <laughs> well uh, the the next item is uh, the game Orin Labora by Uwe Rosenberg that is finally getting reprinted that game came out a few years ago and very quickly became scarce and hard to find and I read, I think on the BGG News, that it was going to be reprinted in a, in the next few weeks. So it might be getting reprinted at this point already. Um, the game does support one through four players. I have that. I, I played it one solo. And it honestly, it felt a little bit disappointing for me because... The setup is static and there's no randomness in the game. So all all the uh, all the chaos that will come from the game and randomness... Is it strictly from the actions your opponents take? Which if there's means a better that better
0: solo variant out there for it,
1: there might be, and, and you know, it's probably really not that bad a theme because the game was complex enough that it, you'd still get a lot of plays out of it. But after that one play that that was, and I was expecting, having played other games by Uwe like Rosenberg that had very neat solo scenarios, so, so I, I just haven't gone back to it. I, I should, and I've wanted to, but I haven't. Still, the good thing is that means the game is now going to be a lot more affordable again for people.
0: That's good. I like affordable. Mm-hmm.
1: Also, the game Luna is going to be republished, and that's due out in October, November. I covered Luna a few years ago in the podcast. And who's that one by? That one is by Stefan Feld. It's by Stefan Feld that's I... being released by TMG, I believe. Oh, by TMG? Okay. I thought I read by Z Man. No, I think TMG huh? has gotten that
0: one, and they're
1: republishing yeah, right. the logo. That's right. I remember that now. It was not Z-Man. Okay. Well, that that'll be neat because that that was a really cool game. It's a fun they, game.
0: I've enjoyed it a lot. I know they did send it to me in the press release, but I don't recall seeing that it's one player friendly. Is it?
1: it yeah, it brings one player rules with okay. the game.
0: I also saw up on the guild that there's a new uh, solo challenge for the game Friday, which I know it's uh, one of my. It, it's in my top games. It's a one player only game. Which for me is really always oh, exciting to see these things. And there's a solo challenge up for it for June up on the one player guild. Did you take a look at the challenge?
1: No, I have not. I haven't been trying to keep up with
0: the challenges lately. Oh, okay. I saw this one. I took a look at it, but uh, I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure what was different for it other than just you know, put yourself at level four and see how well you do.
1: You know, I think I've ever got that game up past level one.
0: I'm sorry, Albert. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i just i don't know i never tried <laughs> how much do you play i i don't know i've played it a bunch i'm not sure but it's been a while since i've played it honestly it's i need to bring it back out again
0: at some point yeah i i need to get a, i really need to get a um count up d20 for counting the life because i just use the tokens. so i think a die would be easier
1: yeah you're probably right easier to manage for sure mm-hmm. until the cat
0: Hits it and rolls it around, and who knows, it lands on a seven. You mean until the kids decide they want to roll my dice? Or, or that, there you go. It's much, much more frequent issue around here.
1: <laughs> All right, so the next item is um, Mayfair Games is releasing a co op game called Five Year Mission. There, there isn't much information available for it yet, but it's a Star Trek game and it's cooperative, but it's listed as three to seven players. So so it seems to imply that maybe there's you're playing with against one person or maybe it's a sort of cooperative game that's time based and you you can't play all the roles yourself but you mm-hmm. know, something to keep an eye out for you know when there's more information we'll actually know finally if it does work solo so often a game is co-op and it's listed for 2 or 3 or number of players but it actually works just fine solo I am interested in a Star Trek
0: game Generic Star Trek or actual Star Trek?
1: Actual Star Trek. This one, this one will be actual Star Trek, and hopefully the theme is good. I haven't gotten any ones that I've seen. None of them have really captivated me. Except maybe the captain is de- dead, and that is a generic Star Trek. Uh number four. Okay, the low player count podcast has begun a campaign to have Sylvion nominated for the Spiel des Jahres for next year. Oh right, I've so, heard about
0: this on their podcast.
1: Yep. So so I'm passing this along. Um, on Twitter, go ahead and use hashtag kdj 2015 for all your Sylveon posts. Let's help get that happen. That'd be really neat if there's a solo game nominated. A strictly solo game. Oh, okay. You could play Sylveon 2 player, but... Okay, fine. But it's really a solo game. <laughs> That's what I'm saying.
0: I, I'm sticking to that. I haven't played it yet, but I know that I tried to play Oniram with a second player. I was clunky. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I played it once, two player and it was a little awkward. I think part of that was it was a little hard for me to explain it for some reason. And so it didn't work out. I've heard it's good good two player game, but just I haven't tried it again. Um and my last piece of news, Dan Versen sent out an email recently to the Kickstarter backers of Valkyrie saying that they're they're finally getting ready to start reworking it. You know, they had done the Kickstarter campaign and after a few days cancelled it. And they've put it on the shelf. Apparently he's been busy with a lot of other stuff. And he said, now I'm going to start working on it again. And hopefully have something in the next few months. So another one to keep an eye out for. And if anybody's not familiar with it or does not remember, this is the... uh, It's a game when you're controlling giant Battletech-type robots without actually being Mm -hmm. Battletech. And it had a really neat video, I remember, for the campaign.
0: But yep, and that's it. That's all my news. More than normal, but not too much. Well, that's good because I know I haven't had a chance to keep on track of many of the uh, <laughs> kickstarters. But I know the last time when I had to run off to the hospital, I didn't get to mention all the ones I had looked at. That's right, and everything worked out fine, right? Yeah, everything worked out okay. Everyone was fine. We got back home. Well, that's good. That's that's really good. Excellent. I think at the hospital's the last time, I actually had to play a game. We played a game while we were sitting waiting in the hospital. <laughs> So, do we want to do any Kickstarter stuff? Do you want to continue or do you just want to move on? Well, sure. We can take a look at some Kickstarter things. Um, let's pull up at the very least.
1: Zero Agents. I saw this. I, I was very surprised by the, um, Art? the artwork. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, this is a one through five player game with miniatures.
0: Well, it doesn't actually. Here's here's something I actually like about this. I want to call it out. I meant to juxtapose it with the other one from last time, where you could choose if you want to have custom dice or not. You don't need to get it with the miniatures. The miniatures are nice, but they're not actually essential to the game. And if you want, you can get a cheaper version of the game for only thirty dollars and get without the minis, or you can pay a full eighty-five, or a full ninety-five, or even a hundred-five, whatever it's up to this point in time and get the full version of the game with all the minis needed and some extra cards and other stuff. But you will need the minis. And I like that they give you an option to play the game if you don't want to use the minis.
1: Okay. So, so that's good. But and, and, and the issue I'm having with the minis and the art is that it is very scantily clad female
0: characters. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'm not quite sure mm. why they're pushing this so much. This is the sort of thing that I cannot... Ever imagine pulling out anywhere? You know, I'm happily married. I'd like to stay that way. And I think that having this one would probably, you know, not be in support of that. That's
1: right. And yeah, and can't have it around with the kids.
0: I mean, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure where they were deciding to go with their art. I like the design of the game. The game actually sounds like it would be fun. In this one, you're playing cards and you use cards and equipment to synergize to go around and stealing items and hack into things and beat your way up through this secret spy mission. Um, and you use dice to control spawn rolls and to activate your cards. So the game does sound nice and it does come with custom cards, but it's just the art that is off putting to me. If it weren't for the art for 30 bucks, this, this looks like a pretty nice game. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And it is worth saying that the, Art is really good quality, and the figures are actually really good-looking figures. They're again
2: just—they're they, they're
1: obviously designed to be very, very sexually appealing to sell. And, and the campaign has raised sixty thousand dollars out of twenty-eight thousand needed, so it's working.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're well into their funding. Yeah, they—they—they've broken through their funding pretty well. It is working. I also—I I mean, I find it funny that clearly this is one of those things where the point of it, I think, is for the minis. I said that you could get it without the minis if you want. There are twenty-eight backers who got it without the minis, and there are five hundred and sixty-one who get it with the minis. Oh wow! So I know I'm in the minority about not wanting to pay for minis. I know I'm in the minority about not wanting to pay for minis, but at the very least, this one gives you the option if you don't want to pay for minis. hmm
1: Yeah, that that is a good idea, and that does make it the game more affordable for for people. Once you buy retail, you could buy the game without the minis, and I guess the minis are an expansion. Indeed. Cool. Okay.
0: So, yeah, so I'm sending you a link to Midara, um, which is penned as a one-to-five-player cooperative storytelling board game with unique minis and a modern flair. And take a look at some of these minis. They're pretty nice. Once again, could be an expensive game. It's currently going for 100 bucks because this is another minis game. But it looks like a nice cooperative game. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, remember, I like the art. Yeah,
1: and the, and the miniatures are good quality too. And interesting. These rock creatures are really interesting looking.
0: I mean, well, take a look all the way down. With the, lower on of the page, they show you some zoomed up pictures of some of the minis. Yep. Those are pretty cool. The Water Loa and the Shadow Lord. Very intricate. Yeah, they really are, and creepy. That Shadow Lord guy is really creepy. He is creepy.
1: I think so with that really long, stretched out neck
0: and skeletal head. I like it. I like that art. Mm-hmm. I like. I like the style. I think it looks good.
1: Uh, sometimes I wish minis came pre-painted just because I know I'll never do a decent job. Oh, <laughs> just have to learn. Yeah. Have you ever tried painting minis? Years and years ago. It's probably been. 25 years since I've last
0: painted a mini. Oh yeah? I've never actually tried.
1: (laughs) You know, and I did enough that I started getting good, but I didn't stick with it at all. And now I can't see them. All all that detail's lost on me. What do you mean? (laughs) My eyesight's just not as good as it used to be, so I cannot see the detail. You know, you gotta hold it up close. I gotta wear bifocals to do that. Oh man. Just like in the last year that's happened.
0: I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Mm, That happens. Yes, this is an interesting game. The art style is nice. It, it is quite tame compared to the last game we saw. Huh. And yet... <laughs> and yet it isn't tame.
0: Well, it's not so bad. No. Well, they're here, how about we jump into another project? Okay. Yep, let's try that. Write it down.
1: Oh, for the Solitaire Gamer, there's Board Games That Tell Stories 2 by Ignasi Trevishek. There was a book that he kickstarted, I think, last year, and it's basically excerpts from his uh, blog called Games That Tell Stories, and it did quite well on Kickstarter, so now he's got a sequel to that book. And since it is a book, you could read it solo. It works well that way. (laughs) I don't know if that counts. (laughs) It's in the game section. It counts for me. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. And so I've not read the first one. I've, I've heard it's really good. I've not read his blog either. I don't follow blogs too much. Um,
0: too much reading.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. The, uh, if you don't have the first book, you can back this for both books or either book. And I believe it's about $25 per book. And it's a hardcover. And that has already made its uh, funding
0: go of $3,000. So one other piece of, I guess, semi-news. Um, I received a tweet from the Cardboard Crusaders, who had published a article about the four types of solitaire variants in board games, which was an interesting article. We're going to go ahead and link to it in the show notes. Um, And so they said that there's four main types of variants that they've encountered in solitaire games. So the first one they brought up was the race against time, where you're playing against... Basically, it's just a it's a time variant where you have a certain amount of times until something happens that ends the game. His best example was Splendor, but I think that for me another great example would be um, Lewis and Clark, because in Lewis and Clark, essentially you have X amount of turns, and you can reduce or increase X based upon how difficult you want the game to be, but you have X amount of turns, and In those amount of turns, you have to reach the end. And if you don't reach the end of the board in X amount of turns, then you haven't won. And so, yeah, that's one that's just a race against time. Um, As a timer, so there's not that much tactical depth. There's not the person, the, the opponent is not acting like a real human. They're not doing anything surprising or challenging. It's just a race against time to see how quickly you can get. The second type that he brings is the massive overhaul that you just try and scrap everything that comes up and overhaul it to see if you can take what's in the game and make it into a second type of game. So the one that he talked about, for example, would be a descent variant that takes out the overlord from the game and you're playing against a solo a, a special new solo AI that isn't actually acting like a, a regular player would. It's just trying to, you know, sort of, make it a little bit, I suppose. I'm not that familiar with the descent variant. I haven't played very much descent and I've not played the nerdics descent variant that he's talking about, but I'm not sure. Um, The third type that he talks about is what he calls the improvement, which has a special solitaire mode just sort of thrown in there. Trying to create a better solitaire experience than what the game designer did. That when a game just threw in one, an extra one player mode, but didn't actually make a very good one, it was just there so they could write one on the box. And I can definitely think of some that fit into this category, but I'm not going to say them so much. Um, but I, I think that the, so what here you're talking about is where you have a solitaire variant that is better than the one that was inside the game. And then you have what he calls the smorgasbord. And here, so you have just a few changes and a few numbers changes. And you try and, he says, just preserve the feel of the original game. And I tweeted him, I said I enjoyed this one. He asked me, well, were there any that he forgot? And I think that we're going to be discussing later on in the podcast bullfrogs. And I think that even something the bullfrogs doesn't fit in here, but I think also some of the ones that we've reviewed in the past, such as those by Morton, don't really fit in here well, or any one where there's a solo AI that you're involving in the game. But the solo AI is really intended to duplicate the the, the type of the game as much as you can, Um. For example, with some of Morden's past works, he has a special deck that is designed to take all of the essential elements of the game and abstract away anything that isn't part of the essential element of the game. Or with some other ones, they try and just recreate the randomness of a human opponent by a random die roll or by a random card draw or some of the form of randomness so that you're playing. against another player who's not a very strategic player, but is random and unpredictable. And so you have to deal with what it is that they're doing. And I feel that those ones typically do still evoke a sense of strategy because you don't always know what it is that your opponent's going to do. And sometimes you don't really play against a very strategic opponent. And I think that when you have an AI being involved in the game that is there just as a foil to allow you to practice strategy against it. I feel like that one wasn't necessarily included. I don't think that's the same as what he calls the massive overhaul system. The massive overhaul system, the way he describes it at least is that you take an entirely different game. And I think that what these are attempt to do is attempting to duplicate the feeling that you get of facing against an opponent without actually having to face against an opponent. I think that those type of things are, uh, very good and very worthwhile to continue to develop because when you can create a solo game that still has the same sort of strategic feeling and element that you get from a regular game without having to actually face off against it then i just think that's a a good way of trying to play the game so i think that that's the one that is most obviously to me missing um the second one that i think that's missing is just simply ones where they cut off everything outside of it i think that this is called uh, i suppose i'd call it the truncation method where you simply design a game that already fits in to be almost multiplayer solitaire and that anything that involves another player is just removed from the game it's just not there i'm not such a fan of these some of them can be pulled off very well but i think that typically just sort of truncating those elements doesn't work so well because i feel like i'm throwing away some of the game that was enjoyable with multiplayer. So those two, one of them that I like and one of them that I don't, are two that I think should have been included. But otherwise, I thought this was a very good article. I think that in general from the Carboard Crusader, it's a good solitaire gaming blog to watch out for if you like reading different solitaire gaming blogs. And so that's available at com, if you like to follow his blog there. All right, uh, I guess that's it.
1: Now we wanted to talk about the, uh, the contest. What is it? The, uh, one player awards.
0: Yes, we did want to talk about the one player awards. I know that the one player awards have already been announced the winners for quite a while. So probably to most people, this is not news, but we want to take at least a second to talk about it.
1: That's right. We we should at the very least acknowledge the winners and participants and, um, and give give your thoughts on that.
0: So, you know, definitely uh, thanks to the people who organized it, Gary Brooks, and uh, everyone else who was involved in it. Um, any surprises for you on there? Um, I- I'm always surprised
1: that Onirum doesn't do better in any contest. I-, I love that game, and I think it should do great. I understand why it doesn't, because it is a very light game, and some people just don't enjoy that. But that'd be my
0: only surprise. Well, let's go ahead and just at least list what it is for the, anyone who hasn't heard it. The awards were the best solitaire game of 2014 was Legendary Encounters, an alien deck-building game. The best solitaire variant was Imperial Settlers' solo campaign cards, which I think was actually designed by Ignacy, the designer of Imperial Settlers. It just got converted into campaign cards by other people. Correct.
1: yeah Yeah. if he didn't design it himself it was designed by somebody that's associated with portal games with portal yep
0: so it's sort of semi-official um but the cards are not official the cards were designed to complement the solo campaign by various other people there's various different versions running around i know i have my preferred one um but the the Next to what was the best Solitaire expansion of 2014 was Tuscany. Expand the world of Viticulture. Which I still haven't played either Tuscany or Viticulture. Me either.
1: And th- that's the interesting thing about this. There's so many games now that I haven't played most of the winners. Well, I've played most of the winners, I guess. One, two, three. But I haven't played many of the winners.
0: Well, i played Legendary Encounters... I have not yet played Imperial Settlers. I've not played Tuscany. Nobody around here has it. Um I've played Star Realms. I've played Elevenses. I've played All the Rings. I've not played Magic Realm, although I don't know if that counts. Oh, I've never played that. But anyway, the best multiplayer game played Solitaire is Magic Realms. So it's Star Realms. Which would surprise me if I didn't see that coming.
1: Yep, and we talked about that before. I mean, that, that does seem out of place there, but it won anyway.
0: And the best solitaire print and play game of 2014 was Elevenses for One.
1: Yep, that's right, which we covered recently, and that is a fun little game. So so those are all the nominees for the, or these are all the winners for the 2015 awards, for the 2014 14 games. 14 awards.
0: And then we also had, for the Hall of Fame, we had the the game category was Lord of the Rings, and uh, Magic Realms, and so that's Lord of the Rings. The, I think that's the uh, deck building card game.
1: No, not the deck building game. This it the Hall of Fame has to be older than that game is. This is for the cooperative game by Reiner Knizia, from around the year two thousand. And and th- I mean that's a really old game, two thousand, and I think why so many people voted for it, I know why I voted for it, it's just because it's it's not the first cooperative game, but it's really one of the first big ones, and I think it inspired a lot of games after that. And then it, it got voted because of the uh because of that inspiration that it has been for other games.
0: So in the game designer category for the Hall of Fame was Vlada Kvattel with the top one, and second was Ignacy Trezevik. That's right. That's very neat. And both of those are very deserving, you know. uh um, with Mage Knight board game, which, you know, constantly comes up as people's favorites and people's suggestions for solo. And Ignacy with uh plenty of other board games, Imperial Settlers, Robertson Crusoe. And now his book that you mentioned on Kickstarter earlier. That's right.
1: And um and a couple other games of his support solitaire play. Um, I believe the, the newer new version of Hiroshima Hex supports Solitaire Play. I believe in the form of puzzles.
0: And I think also, does, doesn't Arctic Scavengers also, which I believe is just coming out for a reprint? Oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about that game at all, to be honest.
1: 51st oh. State also, I think, supports Solitaire Play, but, and I might be wrong about that, but the um, Imperial
0: Settlers was based on that game, and it's actually very, very similar. Oh, Arctic Scavengers is not but I probably should have mentioned it to the news because I think it is coming up. Yeah. It does have official solo rules. It is getting reprinted. I just forgot about it for next time. Maybe. So those were the awards. Um Well, you forgot about the last one for, for BGG users. So the hall of fame for BGG users was Morden Pedersen and Todd Sanders. And I know that we just interviewed Morden. And we actually uh, got him back on the line to talk with him about his response to getting inducted. I've got Morton Henderson back with us. And now that the 2014 Gaming Awards have concluded uh morden it appears that you have won the hall of fame bgg user award that you've been entered into the one player guild hall of fame
2: how do you feel uh, well it's been awesome uh i don't know how many times during the past three weeks that i have refreshed that page to uh to follow the voting process I-, I know it's it sounds like a cliche like a, you see the actors in the oscar awards saying oh this is so awesome but it it truly is it has truly meant a lot to me to uh, to see this vote um, and to be uh selected by by the users of the, the one player guild a, a lot of my participation in, in solo gaming is about the community uh, surrounding solo games on uh, on board game geek so it's really been cool for me to see well, to see people vote for me and uh to sort of acknowledge the contributions I've made that has been downright awesome so thank you to everyone who has uh, voted for me Uh, I actually voted for one of my opponents uh, uh, Chris Hansen who does a lot of of cool work with the Solitaire Print and Play Contest and who was very uh, important in in getting me uh, involved with designing solo games because it was his contest that um, made me start uh, actually making something I've made publicly available. So uh, I wanted him to win.
0: Well, I definitely think that you deserve the win.
2: Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much and uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, once more, thank you for, for having me and thank you to everyone who voted for me.
0: All right. And it was very nice to have talked with Morden about that. And so, let's talk some about what uh, our thoughts are on the rest of these on the rest of the awards. Perhaps just focusing on the games. Um, I know that for the print and play the the top for twenty fourteen was Elevenses for One, and I know we covered both Elevenses for One and um, X Hour Strike. But I was surprised that another one, Land 6, have you heard of Land 6?
1: I've heard of it, I've seen that one, it's got very nice uh, icon-looking art.
0: Well, I know that there's a second version of the art that got released on Print and Play, The I think they call it like the Catan-style stuff, um, which I do prefer. But I think that for, for a quick, solid solo game, um, it, it takes a little bit of work understanding how to do the setup. I, I wish there was a more clear, I mean, it could be that I just haven't done it in a while. Um, but I thought that Land 6 really should have been considered, and maybe we should really uh, cover it for review one time. But I thought Land 6 was a pretty good one. Okay. I haven't played that one. So that was actually my vote for the top of 2014, was Land 6.
1: I, I was surprised that Legendary Encounters won for the best alter game. I haven't played it. I played it once cooperatively with, uh, I think, three other people. And I remember being fine enough, but I I haven't uh, explored it any more than that. So that surprised me a little bit, just because I have no experience
0: with it. Well, maybe we'll have to get some more experience with it. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: will. Uh, I will try. (laughs) Yeah, I know that uh, Onirim, personally, I also voted. I know the one that I've been getting a lot of for the best Solitaire game of 2014 has been Pandemic the Cure.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that one a lot. It it was very accessible and easy to play, and I like that about it
0: very easy to play custom dice moves fast you know also even if someone you know knocks something off it doesn't get so messed up
1: yep the the theme for for alien deck building game i think might be a little bit off putting for some people you know it, it's an older movie and a lot of people seem to still love it a lot obviously but i would think pandemic is more accessible in theme Though my wife will not play Pandemic because it's it's too uh, depressing of a game because of the Really?
0: Really? But you're saving people.
1: Yes, but there's millions of dying in the meantime. So I don't know. She she doesn't enjoy that.
0: I, I, my uh, mother, who is a uh, a GP, um, a general practitioner, a doctor, mm-hmm. and so she doesn't seem to have any issues with it either. Okay. I
1: don't know why my wife has a problem with it.
0: But anyway, so yeah, I I like Pandemic the Cure for it, and that would have been my vote. And I know that you've already covered it on the podcast, too.
1: Yes. So I did cover that one, and I've had a lot of fun playing it.
0: And I hope that there's going to be some more expansions coming out for it soon, because those are going to be an auto-buy for us. We play Pandemic the Cure all the time, both single-player and multiplayer. I know around here we play it all the time. It goes... Whenever we're going out to see friends, uh, it's our standard brink. Hmm, okay.
1: Yeah, that game could definitely use expansions. A lot more uh, different character roles would be nice. I would love to see some more types of dice. Maybe some sort of custom dice that come up with an event that get thrown into the bag. You know, just like three of some dice that are really terrible or something.
0: Maybe. I have no idea what he has for plants.
1: Mm. That, That would be a neat one. Well just let's see if we could get a hold of him and tell him what to put in there. Um, and also just, just so I
0: can mm-hmm. mention it one more thing for the best multiplayer game played solitaire. Um, my vote for that one was actually the battle of Kemble's cascade.
1: Okay. I see. I haven't played any of the uh, games on there other than, than star Realms, but I haven't played that multiplayer solo. So I did not vote on that category. I think originally I voted for Star Wars, and then I realized what the category was, and I took back my vote.
0: Yeah, I almost feel like this one should almost not be nominated, just because it's such a confusing one to do. Um, Yeah, usually for me, when I play a multiplayer game solitaire, if it's not designed for solitaire, the only reason I'm doing that is to learn the game, not really because I want to play a good solitaire game. With Kimball's Cascade, it, it's, it's fun by itself, I think. But it's not as fun as playing it regularly it's not as fun as playing it regularly multiplayer with other people, and it's not as fun as doing the puzzles.
1: And this category I interpret it as being a, a game where you're playing multiple sides by yourself.
0: With yes, that's that's the intention. That is the intention. But with this one, it's almost like I don't know if you've ever played there's various different board uh, video games where you actually get to control two ships as you're flying up a side scroller. Mm-hmm. And so I just yep. sort of treat it like that, like I get to control two ships to, to clear it, and usually I'm just playing just because I feel like doing that. I haven't tried that game. That sounds neat. Yeah, it's a fun game. Uh, if you have a chance to play it either multiplayer with the puzzles, give it a shot.
1: Okay, I'll do that. You know, I, I record my plays on BGG, and I went back and looked at my plays for Star Realm. I think I've played about 30 games so far. 20, 26 plays against my son no I'm sorry it was 23 plays against my son he has won 16 of them <laughs> I think you're playing too easy on him I I, I tried and I try he's I don't know what he's doing but he just kills me actually make make that 24 and 17 now because I played again yesterday and that was not even close <laughs>
0: I, I don't know. But that, that game has gotten a lot of play for us. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be getting the uh, next expansion? Or are you going to be getting Epic? There was an expansion announced for this game, wasn't there? There was an expansion announced, and there's also Epic
1: announced. I don't know anything about these things, really. Yeah, I'll get it when it comes out, but I really don't know. I haven't heard any news myself.
0: Here, I can show you Epic. I think you'd like Epic. Not Not solo-friendly, I don't think. At least not yet. But then again also I don't think as I recall um, as I recall Star Wars didn't start solo friendly.
1: No it it came Did oh no well the Kickstarter had um, the Kickstarter provided the the solo challenges. If you backed in the Kickstarter originally. Oh Epic is that other game. That's right. No I'm not going to back this one. I'll just wait and see agreed I'll miss out all the exclusives
0: yep I'm out for wait and see yeah
1: uh, I want to succeed and I don't think it has anything to worry about at this point they've raised 200,000 out of 50,000 dollars so yeah so this game is going to show up at my game store and if anybody doesn't know anything about this this is on kickstarter now it is a game by the makers of star realms it is another card game it doesn't currently say anything about solitaire play And it is a
0: fantasy-themed-type game. But yeah, we're kind of off-topic. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, things to know, we're going to have to review... I'm going to have to get you to play Land 6. You'll have to get a print-off of that one. And also Battle of Kimball's Cascade. All right.
1: Okay. I've been curious about Kimball's Cascade. I haven't seen it in my store yet, so...
0: So, speaking of the games that I typically bring with me, the two games that come with me when I'm going out to visit friends are typically Pandemic the Cure and Bullfrogs. Ribbit, ribbit. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. Ribbit, ribbit. A singing ribbit. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. ribbit, 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 ribbit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and speaking of Bullfrogs, that's a that's a neat game. I've played it twice. i played it once at the game store against three other people, and I've played it solo once now. It
0: doesn't Come solo out of the box, but you can get the solo expansion for it. And I know that there's even a discount that he gives anyone from the one-player guild. Ribbit, Ribbit. Bullfrogs, that is a neat little game. Oh man, Bullfrogs is a neat little game. I I backed this one on Kickstarter, so I'm going to say that I'm probably biased. But one of the things that I love about it is the art for the cards. Whenever I show it off to people, I first take a deck of each card Um, because each player will get a deck of 10 cards in addition to their bullfrog's meeples. And your deck, if you arrange it, makes one full piece of art, and each of the four colors is a different piece of art.
1: Yep, that's right. And and it's basically like a little puzzle. You you get Mm -hmm. to put together a little 10-card puzzle. And it's really nice art. I
0: agree. So there's not that many components per player. For each player, they get a deck of 10 cards... 14 frog meeples and two bullfrog meeples. And these are little meeples that are shaped like frogs. Custom shaped meeples, which is also fun.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, and so they'll also get a player aid card where the bullfrog meeples go after the bullfrogs sink. After they're used, because the bullfrogs are one use only. Um, so they'll go back to the player aid card, and the back of the player aid card is the score track. And then in the middle of the board to start the game is the five cards, the log card and four initial places to put bullfrogs. And that is it for the included game. Uh, with the solitaire game, you just get two custom dice. And essentially it's, uh, the, one of the dice is, a, is a D3. It's one, two, three. Um, and then the other die is, shows you the directions. One goes right, left, up, down everywhere and nowhere but we'll get to how that works and when we get to discussing how the solitaire game works so with the way the game plays is you're trying to score points by the end of the game and you get points by sinking lily pads while you're in control of those lily pads and by having frogs on the log um Every time you play, every time it's your turn, what you'll do is you'll have a hand of three cards and you'll be constantly pulling those cards from your deck. And each card will have on it three pieces of information. It'll have on it how many points that card scores if you manage to control it and sink it, how many frogs can fit on the card before it'll sink and score for someone, and how many actions you get to play when you play out that card. So on your turn, you'll pick one of those cards, and you'll put it somewhere adjacent to the whole board. And then somewhere in the same either row or column as those, you'll get to take however many actions on your cards. So for example, a, a card that has enough spots for five frogs will give you three actions, for example. Except that a card with five frogs is worth five points. So... With those actions, one thing you could do is you could just simply put out a frog, one frog or bullfrog per action. And so anywhere on that row, if there's an open spot, you go ahead and put a frog from your supply onto one of the spots on the cards. The second action you can do, which in, I think, I suppose a higher level of strategy almost requires being aware of, is to do a sabotage action. And with Sabotage, what you do is you move an opponent's frog. You're not allowed to move your frog. But you move a, a, an opponent's frog in the same row or column again to an adjacent card with an open space. And you could keep doing that. If you had a whole row of cards, theoretically you could take one frog and move it across the whole row. If you wanted to waste a bunch of actions doing it, it well, not waste. If you wanted to use a bunch of actions doing that, and the Sabotage action can be really undercutting. If you use sabotage well, it can really make it so that you can, you can really turn a turn around. Um, using sabotage, because normally you're only allowed to put down two frogs onto a card. But if you fill up a card, you put down your two frogs on, you have some extra, extra actions left. You can move in an opponent's frogs into the card to finish it off so they'll score immediately before your, your opponent has anything, any chance to do anything with it. And then take it back and then immediately send his frogs back. When a card scores, when it fills up, the first thing you do is you figure out who's winning. Bullfrogs are worth one point and regular frogs are worth, uh, sorry, bullfrogs are worth two points and regular frogs are worth one. So when the card fills up, whoever has most points is going to score the card. And then everyone else in losing and then winning frogs will jump off that to the adjacent spot. So, so maximum of four frogs can ever jump off. But then starting with the losing frogs, they'll jump off to adjacent spots. So if you use Sabotage to move someone's frog onto the lily pad and then immediately right back off when it jumps away, you haven't really moved their card around, their frog around so much. Or what you could do is you could Sabotage to move their frog one down with a card that'll finish off. And then when it jumps away, you move their frog back down another one. So now it's all the way in the wrong place, which can be deceptive and mm. just annoying.
1: Mm-hmm. And and when you when you fill up the card and you jump the frogs off to the adjacent card, it's one frog per card, correct? Yes, it's one frog per
0: card, one to each of the four adjacent directions. Okay. And if there's no card in an adjacent direction, so then you're just gonna have one less frog jumping off.
1: And and the person who's taking the turn decides which frog goes where. Yes. Okay. Which could be interesting, because uh, the way the rules work, if I remember correctly, you, your frogs go last, and first you have to jump the frogs. The winning frogs go over. last. The winning, fro- you, the winning frog you, goes last.
0: What you could do yeah. is you could set it up so that you finish off a low-scoring one, like you finish off a three-frog area, and you use all of your opponent's frogs for that area, and then... Uh, this is something I've seen done before. You finish off a three frog place with your opponent's frogs, and then you send off all three of those frogs to high-scoring places where you were just one shy of finishing it off. And so you can cascade, and you score you know, sometimes 15 points on your turn by giving your opponent three. <laughs> wow, well, nice. So if you can pull de- that de- off, it's devastating, and it, and your opponent's looking like, what did you just do? do. It's always fun to do.
1: (laughs) That's right, because each time, once the frogs jump off and you finish that card and score it and take it off the board, you then check to see if there's any other cards that are full. And you repeat on those cards. So you could potentially have a really big chain of uh, cards completed if maybe you had five cards in a row that
0: each were one frog short. That's right, you could. Usually, I don't think that'll happen too often, but you definitely could. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in in the multiplayer game, so everyone keeps playing cards and scoring for, for cards, and then some frogs will sometimes jump to the log, and the log is a card on the center of the board. You can't put frogs directly on there, but any frog on the log at the end of the game is worth a point at the end of the game. And, or and any bullfrogs that are worth two points at the end of the game. And so... For me, I think that early on in the game, I want to send my opponent's frogs to there to sort of lock up their frogs. Because a frog there will earn you only one point at the end of the game. Whereas if it's out, it can team up with other frogs to continue earning points, which is a more useful place for it to be. So sending an opponent's frogs early in the game to the log is a good idea, but late in the game is not a good idea. And you have to be aware of when to make that switch. In my opinion, I'm not necessarily saying that's a decisive strategy, though.
1: Mm-hmm. But th- that makes a lot of sense. In the the game I played multiplayer, I found the yeah uh, early on nobody wanted their their frogs in the middle, but at some point we all realized, wow, wait a minute, I could get a lot of points if I go there.
0: Especially since also at the end of the game, if you're in control of the log, you get an extra three points. So whoever has the most points of the log gets an extra three points at the end of the game.
1: Yep. And now for it, going back to the scoring a card once. If there is a tie in the card, some of the cards, for example, have four spaces for frogs. If two people each control two of the spaces, then nobody scores that card. Correct. The frogs are jumped off. Nobody scores it. That card is discarded. But uh, once you've finished all these jumping and all the cards are removed, you may find you have gaps where not all the cards are connected anymore. Some card might be a separate island. At this point, you now get to move those cards that are separated from the, from the log to To fill in some space so that they're now not necessarily adjacent to the log, but connected to the log through a path of other lily pad spaces. And and this is another place where you have a lot of tactical choices because you could move that card to any open spot, basically, even if it's on all the way around the other side of the uh, the pond.
0: You could also be annoying and just slide all the cards into make one big long row.
1: Yep. <laughs> so you have choices in you know how you get to do it. You could you could definitely take advantage to to work things out in your
0: favor. So having it be your turn with the cards score is very powerful. Even if yes. you aren't, even if you aren't the one scoring them, it can be powerful to score and get to rearrange. That's right.
1: Because once once a, a space is filled up, whoever is taking the turn actually has a lot of things they got to do that they could actually put themselves in a really good position if they play it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And both moving frogs around off that card and later on repositioning the other cards. And so we'll keep doing this until somebody runs out of cards, I believe?
0: Yep. Uh, well, you have to have played all of your cards. So when you've played all 10 of your cards, not just drawn them all. So then once, everyone's, once everyone has done that, then the game will end.
1: Okay, and then you add up your score, all the cards you have scored, plus majority control for all the all the frogs. Well, they're then scoring all the frogs in the log, including somebody gets a majority. And there's something else. And you get bonus points if you've collected your own color cards.
0: Yes. Now, in the Solitaire game, the main difference in the Solitaire game is that instead of playing against a real opponent, you're playing against Isaac, who is a dice-controlled AI. Um, so you're not going to get any points for your color, because you're only playing with your color. But the way it works with this game is that there are two dice, and um, I think Isaac gets to play first. What you'll do is you'll roll the two dice, and the two dice will first show how many actions Isaac gets. And so the first action Isaac always takes, if he can, is he'll bump one of your frogs off the log. So Isaac doesn't play with bullfrogs. He has one bullfrog that shows where his attention is focused on. And he'll start in the center with the log. And so he's allowed to put frogs directly on the log, unlike you. So if he rolls a three, so he'll first bump one of your frogs off the log, or one of your frogs off a lily pad, rather, um, and then he'll put down two of his own frogs. When he rolls the, the distance dice, the location dice, so that'll show which direction he goes before ta- taking those actions. So the, there's six custom sides to that. So there's up, right, left, down, anywhere, which lets you make the choice of where he goes, and then nowhere, which means that he stays put. And so he'll continue filling up cards until a card scores, and then he'll go to an adjacent one, his focus will go to an adjacent one, which lets you, which you get to choose where it is that he goes. It can be a trick to control to predict what the dice are doing. This isn't just simply a lucky game where, you know, you hope, well, luck does help if you roll uh, very low ones the whole time, but that's just practically not going to happen that often what's more powerful is being able to control it especially if you can finish off a card that is more inwards from where isaac's attention is focused and then move isaac's attention around the board too because once he gets disconnected you can move him around and reposition all of the cards that'll let you change where his attention is focused and rearrange what it is that he will do and what he doesn't do I think that it has a lot of strategy, too. There's a lot of good decisions about controlling where Isaac's going and what it is that you're going to do with yours. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, random
0: question here. Do you know why the AI is called Isaac? Uh, I believe that it's named after his son. Also, I Mm -hmm. think that the two colors for it are the designer's favorite. The two colors of the two dice, which are orange and green, are because that's his and his son's favorite colors okay i don't think my dice were orange and green
1: no i got the dice from a bgg
0: and oh right one... they turned out yellow and green yeah yes. okay yellow and green the the okay. dice were originally supposed to be a slightly different color and they just didn't turn Ah, <laughs> uh, okay i wondered why it didn't match the rulebook. book Right, the rule book still has them being yellow and green, or orange and green. Yes. Yeah, they didn't turn out. But, I mean, personally, I really like the new colors.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I like them fine. I I was just, I noticed, I said, that's funny. Usually they they try to match these
0: things. I wonder what's going on. Now I know. Yeah, because the production (laughs) samples were the orange and green, but then when the publication happened, the colors came out wrong. And in actuality, the original ones you'll see had black pips, for mm-hmm. the colors and then when the dice came out so the black pips didn't work And so they had to open up all the games all the solitaire expansion games recolor all the pips of white and reseal them again oh no way <laughs> so but i mean that was the dedication that keith the was was showing to making sure that it came out right did he do he this himself happen, he did, did not he... do it he did not okay. do it but he had them he, he told them you guys need to go get this done because you know it, it needs to be better yeah, so he really pushed for it. So I appreciate his attention to detail, making sure that it came out nicely like that. Wow. Okay. Very deep. I, I definitely think he showed a lot of care and attention to this game, and it shows. I think that this is excellent art. It really evokes the theme of having this battle of the bullfrogs, and I like the custom frog meeples. They are very dynamic and just look very nice. And having it be custom dice, it's not. Too, this this could have been done with two dice and a lookup table. And, you know, I like having it be the two custom dice to control it, and I like that there's special components for the AI, for the solitaire version. It's not simply that they're like, oh, we can find a way to, you know, push it in there and not really add any more costs and just everyone will be happy. No, he went and designed it, and he knew that would require something extra, and he added it in. He made it available and he added it in, and I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's very nice. The the art in this is, like you said, it's fantastic, and it's throughout the game, the rule book, it just, it all,
0: it's all very cohesive. Mm-hmm. So I definitely consider this a filler game that only takes probably under thirty minutes with two players, and I'd say probably about twenty minutes with one. Take about the same for you?
1: Yeah, it yeah, sounds about right.
0: Yep. Yeah. So it's a nice little filler. It doesn't take too long. Like I said, you only are going to get 10 turrets in a game. But I think it's a lot of fun, and it's a light two-player game, a light solitaire game. Um, Great components, good strategy, and I really like it. So it's a thumbs-up for me. Excellent. Thumbs-up for me, too. So the solitaire uh, variant of the game... You can get it either from the BGG store or you can get it direct from Thunderworks Games. It doesn't come with the game itself. You have to buy the two dice and the rules, although I think the rules are available online. But uh, if you want the the dice you have to get them from either the BGG store or from the Thunderworks Games website. And if you use the coupon code 1playerpodcast it'll give you a discount on it, which is enough to make the make it be free shipping. Nice. That that helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. so that's a that makes it a lot easier to get the solitaire game so i was i was very happy that he uh reached out and gave us that yeah thank you for that and the coupon code
1: still works i just just tested it excellent just in case you didn't have it yet yeah <laughs> um anything else bullfrogs no, i, I don't have so. anything else but bullfrogs i think that's it i think that's a pretty packed podcast The next show may be three weeks away
0: because I'm going to be on vacation. But we'll see. Maybe I'll uh, be able to do it two weeks from now with a co-host, with a yep. guest co-host.
1: And so, so expect summer surprises.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, and that's it. Thanks for uh, listening. Yep. No show. No. Well, I'm, that's No. Nope. No. Okay. Yeah. Thank yep. you for listening.
0: Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number 1, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus and can be found at Jamendo.com. The transition music is copied by Dan Elduche-Pancaldi, whose page is at donpancaldi.com. The one-player podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.